Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air with uh, my co-hosts, Dominique Simone Levine and Kayla Solomon. Hi, Dominique. How are you today? I'm well. Good morning, everyone. And Kayla, how are you? What's I'm going good. on with you? Yeah. I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. Um, so, Dominique, you have a topic you were hoping we could cover today. What What are you thinking? Yes. One of the, the biggest questions that families pose is whether they should have their loved one home um, or away. Um, and there's so much, in, so many different questions to ask to figure that out. And um, I know, Lori, you've talked about the fact that your son was able to come home and, and your family was able to create the right conditions for him. And that has led to a very successful period of time for the both of you and for the rest of your family. I know families that can't have their loved one home for all kinds of reasons, or the the situation at home is simply not safe and is not an option. So you go back and forth um, and often the family's involved even when they're not home, right? They're involved in the housing um, of one sort or another. So I was wondering if we could tease that apart a little and. And, and come up with some of the pros and cons of both that help people make it through a decision-making process that makes some sense for them. Because yeah. it's, 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 it's full of heartbreak and it's full of so much more than just saying, you know, we're taking your bedroom away, <laughs> right. which is very, is very symbolic and significant. Um, but what do we do from there? What's, what do we do? You know, um, it's really, it's important for, I think, people to understand the background story of my family, too, and what was going on and why we were able to, to do that and to offer that as an option for our, for our son, right? So it's not like, it's not like we just said, oh, come on home. And he went into recovery and, and everything went swimmingly. It was actually a major process. And it was a process of him leaving because the boundaries had clearly been set from day one. If you're using opioids while you're living in the house, not in the house, not using opioids in the house, but using opioids while you're living in the house, then you are going to have to, um, you can't stay here. It will have to be, um, uh, we will give you options, right? You can go to a residential treatment facility. Maybe you would prefer to go to a sober living facility and do an IOP. And do. So we were, let me make this clear. We were not kicking him out of the house we were giving him alternative options to our house and we made it clear to him that 
him when he was using opioids it was not safe for us because i'm not equipped to handle that i'm not a doctor i don't know i don't know what i'm doing and uh it's extremely dangerous for us and triggering for me um and it's extremely dangerous for him so it was clearly that boundary was set up if you're using opioids and you're living in the house you're going to have to um you're going to have to find an alternative i'm exactly i'm going to stop you right there because that is the first piece of this right is right that was said perfectly if you're using you can't live here and here's the list of alternatives that we could come up with for where you can go i always um i knew a few things when i set that out one i wasn't kicking him out i was giving him options it's just not that my house was an option right it wasn't safe it wasn't good so i wasn't kicking him out i was giving him a whole host of options i wasn't requiring requiring him to follow through on any of the options that i was presenting i knew that there may be uh i'm not going to go that no i'm going to go to a friends i'm going to go you know live under the bridge um you know whatever it was and so it was a boundary of mine and i also knew that i was going to follow through that if that that if this happened i was going to enforce that and just say okay where are you going to go and that's that's, a, that's the key the key right. is that you cannot put a consequence out unless you're going to follow through on it so it is very important before people speak that they actually make the choice with themselves first am i really going to be able to do this the other thing is that i i see this as the the phrase that goes through my head is or things that i say to people is based on your decision i will be making a decision Right. So you're putting the power back on them. It's exactly. like these this is the situation. So you get to choose what's going to happen here. If you right. decide that you need to use the drugs more than anything in the house, obviously that's not going to work. You're choosing not to be here. So you get to choose. This is the option. If you want to if you want to use outside, that's fine with me. That's your choice. I've but you cannot use that. in this house cuz right. that affects me. And So yeah, I I I also had to make it very clear I couldn't use I couldn't use that word those words I had to say you cannot be using opioids and living in this house versus you cannot use opioids in this house Right but that's because your then it becomes well I was outside the garage right like I didn't use right op- right so but but you're right it's I had made the decision and it was heart wrenching and and ridiculously scary because he might not choose some of the options that I'm that I was offering but I was clearly in my mind I was empowering him because you do have choices you can, it is your decision to make for yourself it's not mine but and the other thing is is this was not a punishment i am not punishing you this is not a rule this is a boundary that i can't live with that i i can't live under these circumstances i love you i still love you a tremendous amount and i will still be here to support 
you know, whatever it is. But also I made it very clear I was not going to be a part of if you decide to go and live under a bridge or go couch surfing or whatever it was, I'm not going to, you know, I won't be giving you money and I won't be giving you rides there and I won't be, but I will absolutely put money into helping you get into a recovery home or go to a treatment facility. And I also made it very clear that although I may help navigate that system, that it was his to do. So here's the numbers. You decide where you're going to go. You start making the phone calls, right? Right. So, so this is a very good scenario. One that's really typical where they've been in the house, maybe they're transitioning into adulthood, 18, 19, 39, 70. Yeah, yeah, same. Could be. And you feel that, you know, whatever's tired and they need to go and it'll do them some good to go. Okay, so those are general rules, right? You, the, the equation is, the balance is that they need to go. And so what Lori's describing is the treatment list we have you come up with in this case really geared to housing, if you can do it, it's going to be very hard to find these alternative housing places. It may be under the bridge if he chooses. That's perfect. And then there are the uh, the ones that agree um, can't use opioids, can't be using opioids while you live here. And then um, occasionally they lapse. And what are you going to do as a, as a family? Well, the solution that we have come up with at Allies in Recovery after 17 years of doing this is we call it the the cot and locker solution. So you take their bedroom and this works most better for fam- better for parents but you can see it in a partnership. You take their bedroom and and uh, or your bedroom, you take the extra bedroom, you now you you now make it something beautiful for yourself, a library, a yoga center, a painting place. And you set up a cot and a locker in a public part of the, of the house. When they're not high, when they're not using, they can come home. A little bit of advance notice, you'll make dinner, you'll, you know, it'll be occasion to reward the non-use, you know, you're not going to urine test them at the door. This is a, you know, more or less a trust system and more or less you'll get it right or wrong. It doesn't matter. But they call, they're not using, they need a place to stay. They come home. And, the, and so you have this more fluid in and out of the house. It's more, your house becomes more temporary. It can be a reward as well as it can also be a hideout for where you use. So you have to think about it, perhaps like Lori did, we really need to get you into some kind of formalized housing treatment situation or else it's up to you. You can go under the bridge, but you know, you're invited here anytime you're not using. Give us a little notice and, and you know, we'll make dinner and, you know, your dad will try to be home for dinner, you know, whatever it is that's rewarding. So really, Dominique, what you're describing is creating some discomfort because part of the dynamic that doesn't work is it's so easy for the person who's using to be comfortable they hide in their room, they like disappear in the car, they come in, they say, they grunt, and then they walk into their room, it's no big deal, they come out in the middle of the night and eat. It's great (laughs) for them, but it's not good for you. And that's, this is where this 
needs to, you need to start differentiating yourself from the other person because the enmeshment of I'm keeping this person alive. I need to take care of this person. They can't handle this. I need to get them into treatment, which is one of the things we have to be careful about. The craft model is I think some people believe it's my job to get this person into treatment. And that's not the way we need to look at this. It's more, how do we create an optimal situation so that they're uncomfortable? The discomfort is the key. You guys have been living with discomfort the whole time. You know, so I, the, the balance of comfort is, is distorted here. The loved one is, the, the, the family member is often very uncomfortable. I'm looking all the time to see if you're lying. I'm trying to see if you're high. Did you steal anything? I have all my stuff locked up, which by the way, is so much more common than anybody is talking about. There's so, if you're in a situation where you're locking up all of your valuables, that means that your discomfort level is already higher because you're on hyper alert. And so that if that's the case, then you're already looking at a discomfort imbalance. So I believe that what craft is about is creating discomfort in bad behavior. So if there's lousy behavior, if you're feeling invaded, if you know the person is using, your job as a loved one is to create discomfort. We call it negative consequences. It's basically discomfort um, so that it's not just easy to keep going and doing what you're doing. And then what happens is when you get to the point where like, I don't want to be this uncomfortable anymore, like Lori is talking, then you, you have the choice that Dominique is saying, which is, okay, you can come back anytime in the living room and couch surf while you're not using at all, not just out in the car. Um, and then what happens is if they, if their behavior is bad, you say, okay, this isn't really working, you know, so the, the, the cot has been folded up. Well, it, and so, so I also think it's important, like that's that part of my story with my son and, and setting that boundary down is only the beginning of, of the boundary setting and, and right. Because he didn't come home. It's not like he came home the first time and he went into recovery that, that that's, that's not it. Right. And, um, so I set down these boundaries and he had to leave multiple times. He would leave, he would go off into treatment or he would choose a recovery home, whatever it was. And then he would come back five months, six months later. Right. And what we would do is we would tweak those boundaries that things that were not working the previous time that he showed up at the house you know, the, the overstepping of boundaries, you know, I don't know, we set up, um, I'm just trying to think of a few things. So there were things that because of my own trauma, um, that I, that when he first came back home that I would do, um, because of the previous trauma. So when he came back again, so things like, if he was in the bathroom too long, I would stand at the bottom of the stairs and I would look underneath the door to see if I could see his feet. Yeah, right? I mean, just crazy things, right? And um, so when he came back like the second and the third time, and I can tell you, he came back and left, I would say five, six times easily. And each time he came back, it was like, okay, I have to set up a boundary 
that's going to keep me from having to have to go and look underneath the door because I'm freaking out about it. This is not about, I'm not going to, I'm not able to stop him. That's not what I'm able to do. All I'm able to do is to set up boundaries that will help protect me. And that was one of the things you're not behind a locked door, period. You're not behind a locked door and it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with my own craziness, right? My own um, comfort level. I need to know that. And if you cannot, if that's not workable for you, I get it. Where can I help support you? Where do you want to go? And where can I help support you going? And so, so each time, you know, he left, he came back. I tweaked the boundaries before he came back so that by the last time that he came back and he went into recovery, my boundaries were real rigid. Right. And, and we've talked about this, Dominique, I did, I did drug test him and it was not for him. It was not. And I told him, look, I need to be able to be absolutely sure that you're not using opioids because I go nuts. I'm frantic with my thoughts, with everything that's, you know, going on in my head. If you can't, if you can't live up to that, where are you going to go? Right. And I had just tweaked my boundaries and, and I'll tell, I'll tell you a little bit about the drug test. We could always talk about it later, but, um, so that by the time he got back the last time, I really had some pretty solid boundaries. Nope. And I, and he also knew that if he was using opioids, I was going to ask, he was going to have to go somewhere else because I enforced my boundaries. Um, I stuck to them, boy, nope, this is what I can live with. And this is what I can't live with. And um, so this last time he knew but that's, if you think about what you're describing, and this is true for all of the work that everybody is doing, which is, it's a progression, okay? So you, you don't start out at the end when you're first starting out. You're, you have no idea what you're doing. You're trying to figure things out. You throw things out there. It's like they're throwing the spaghetti on the wall. You, th- you try a lot of different things and you see what works. And I feel like because it's so, there's so much at stake here, people are panicked about getting it right the first time. Yeah. There's no way that anybody's going to get this right the first time. You, you're, you know, when, when you first start setting up boundaries, it feels horrendous, okay? Because you're changing the rules, you're changing the dynamic, you're going to get a tremendous amount of pushback from the other person and from yourself. It's like, am I creating un- an unsafe situation? Is something terrible is going to happen? So that's the work that you have to work with yourself with this. And, and I think that if you could have the orientation of this is a, a project that I'm working on, not that it's, and I, I keep saying it's the marathon. You don't get off the couch and run a marathon. You get up and you run and you pant and you walk mostly. And, and then you're like, oh, that didn't work out so well. And you're stiff and you, you hurt. And that's what's going to happen with this, that every time you try something that feels like you're pushing out the comfort zone for yourself a little bit, you're going to have backlash both from yourself and the other person. That doesn't mean that you stop. It means that you have to keep moving forward. So the more you do it, the better things are going to go at least for yourself. 
Okay. You don't have any say about how it's going to go for the other person. That's part of the issue. It's like, you can't control that. But if you think of this as a dance and you're changing the steps, then I know for myself, as soon as I try to learn a new dance step, I'm a klutz. I'm not very good at it, but the more I do it, the better I am. And that's what this is. It's a new habit. It's a new way. It's a new way of looking at things. Okay. I didn't like that. I need to create another boundary. That's not working for me. What, what can we try? And a lot of times it's a brainstorming process that you're throwing out all the possible ideas. Like I love this idea of the cot. And, and I'm quite sure that came from people trying things and failing. That's how this works. It's like you try something and that's an interesting way of looking. Let's see how that works. And then it might be, I don't want somebody living in a cot in my living room because it ruins my day. And then that doesn't work. So you try and see how it goes. You're right. And that's, and you make a really good point in, uh, about, it's going to be uncomfortable. I would say it's when you first start out all the way to the end, all the way to that very last time that he was coming back home. It was painful. It was painful. But I heard um, Jeffrey Foote from, I think he's from the uh, Center for Motivation for Change. And he said something I saw um, one time. He said, what we're asking parents to do is to sit in their pain for a little while. And I was like, yep, that's a that's it. I had to sit through the pain of the unknown. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. And I don't know what the result is going to be on the other side with my son. Right. And, and it literally became, what am I, what am I willing to sit with? How much pain can I sit with? And I also knew I had to, I had, I had to do it because nothing else was working And I just, I had to do it. And there's another thing about this too, that um, I think it's really important to get rid of absolutes, right? To not, it's so tempting when you're awfulizing, right? When you're catastrophizing and you're thinking only the worst is going to happen, which I think is okay to do because it can drive you to, to do particular things, but when that's happening, not to do, not to start um, throwing out ultimatums to yourself or throwing out what I call absolutes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He did it again. He can never come back. Right. Once I kind of squared that in my head, I'm not going with any absolutes. Maybe he can come back in the future, but Now I've got to consider under what circumstances am I going to let him come back? You know, maybe he doesn't come back. Maybe he never does come back. I, I don't know. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to refer to the other thing that you talked about, which is that, that what's clear is that this is a parallel process with the loved one, with the person who's using substances or having behavior that's dysfunctional and ourselves. So we need to we need to model basically recovery, which is what we're talking about, which is how do I have good boundaries? How do I learn how to sit with my pain? How do I develop a toolbox to deal with pain and discomfort as opposed to one thing? How do I self-soothe? How do I learn how to do self-care? How do I have connection? How do I allow myself to get support and not do this alone and not think I have to have all the answers or not believe that it has to be immediate? 
or, and, and also as we watch ourselves grow and have better boundaries and learn these things, we're modeling that for the other person. And I, I think it's essential because if we're asking the other person to sit in their pain and get a toolbox to deal with their issues and not use the, do the one thing that they always do that's dysfunctional and learn other ways to cope, then we need to do that too. And so if you could see yourself as the first step is modeling this kind of behavior, and that is a functional thing to do, then you have a reason to do it. Right. Which that's, I think what you're saying, Kayla, is key. And, And I strongly believe that, that boy, oh boy, we ask an awful lot of them. We ask an awful lot of our loved ones with substance use disorder, and we don't live up to half of those boundaries. Right ourselves. We don't listen to them when they say, hey, I want you to stay out of my recovery. You know, let me handle the doctor or let me, you know, handle my love relationship. Why are you calling up my boyfriend or girlfriend or right? Um, And we don't we don't do that. Also, another another thing that happened in this um, setting of boundaries and having my loved one leave and come back and leave and come back as I set up my new boundaries and he lived up to old, like he started living up (laughs) to particular boundaries. Wow. What a payoff. Wow. Like, Oh my God, he is capable of soothing himself. He is. So it became clearer to me. Oh my gosh. He's able to do things that I, I was really crippling him. Right. He's able to do these things that I never thought he could. And he is doing it. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's there's so much to take away from this conversation. I would like for you to spend one minute, Lori, on the urine testing, because that's you, you make a, a very good point and a distinction and, and suggestion on how to use it as a family member. Yeah, I do think that drug testing can be, if if it's not used well, that it can be a point of conflict and, and tension in the house, and it can actually um, serve the opposite of what it's intended to be used for and can drive your loved one out the door, right, and away from you. So I do think it ha- you have to really, really think about how you're going to use um, drug testing. And, and what I did was I, the last time that he came home, I did say this to him, that this was one of the boundaries and it had to do with, I don't want to do the proof hamster wheel thing. Like I don't want to go out and try and prove that he's using because I'm not sure. Right. And then bring him the proof and then have him, tell me how crazy I am. And and then I've got to go out and get more proof, right? Because now I'm not confident. So it was like, nope, this is why. And I'm, I'm going to hold myself accountable. And I decided that I was going to test him 95% of the time when I knew that he was not using. And um, that was a pivotal decision that I made because Um, my approach to, Hey, we're going to do, you know, I'm going to, uh, give you a test today was very, Hey, I, I said, I was going to do this. I don't think that you're using, I want to let you know, but I got to hold myself accountable 
because I said I was going to do this. And so he, he was, I knew he wasn't using because he was like, sure, no problem. I'd love to. He couldn't wait to show me that he was not using. And it was just an opportunity for me to just then reward his reinforce this positive behavior. So I would be like, oh yeah, I knew you were, hey, you you know what? Come here, give me a hug. I love you so much. I see the effort that you're putting into your recovery. Hey, let's go grab a sandwich together. You wanna go get a cup of coffee? Let's take the dog for the walk or, or whatever it was. So it became a very positive thing. Um, and then when he did, and he did relapse. So, I mean, I do wanna point out too, that my boundaries became flexible. So they were pretty rigid when I, when he first came home, but then a year and a half later, they became a little bit more flexible because I had to give him space to be able to learn, right? He's not, he's human. He's not going to be perfect. And he still needed to learn about himself. So he, um, he had a lapse. It was clear that he had a lapse. It was like, and I was like, okay, well, here, right? Like, let's drug test you. And he literally was like, you don't need to drug test me. I can, I, I'll tell you, right? Like, and so um, it really became this, this positive thing. And at that point, we weren't kicking him out. We were asking him, hey, and I don't want to say kicking him out because I, I don't believe I ever really kicked him out. I just gave him alternative options. Um, but at that moment, it was like, okay, this was a slip. What do you need now to, to get back to uh, where you were? And he at first was really, really down. Oh, I'm such a loser. I'm go- I can't believe I did this. Da, 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 right. And I was like, uh-uh, you've been you've been working for a year and a half. You think we're throwing that out? No way. I know this is difficult, but okay, what do you want to do? And he actually did come up with a a solution. He was like, you know what, how about, I know I don't, I don't really need an IOP because I know I'm not going to learn anything new, but you know, why don't I go back to an IOP and just kind of tweak it and get some support while I'm there, right? And and let me redo that again. And I, and it was like, okay, okay, good, right? And here we are. So that's the drug testing piece of it. And that's how I used it. It's just a wonderful story from beginning to end and so useful, I think, for our listeners. Um, we're out of time. Okay. Do you want to close this, close this out, Lori? Well, um, I just want to remind all of our listeners um, to make sure that they uh, have a membership. That's at www.alliesinrecovery.net. That's right. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Dominique. Great conversation as usual. Thanks. Have a good week. Thank you. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. 
Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team. <laughs>